My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 10 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everybody, what a strange week it has been for sports. Some races called off, some events continuing, and some doing their very best to hang in there. Either way, I hope you're in good form, staying safe, and getting out training and enjoying the miles. Simon Kelly from the Waterford Trail Running Festival is first up with a healthy set of racing results, something which we may or may not have over the coming weeks on the mountains. Rene takes a deep dive on hill sprints and their importance no matter what stage of the season we are in. And we have a super interview with one of the most prolific runners on the mountains over the last 13 years or so with over 39 Imre race wins it's mountain man turned marathon man and now he's back kicking ass on the mountains again Barry Minnick everybody get your running gear on let's go Welcome everybody to episode 10 and a big thank you to all of our listeners who have followed us on the first 10 episodes. This was my initial milestone to get to episode 10 when I started the podcast in the midst of lockdown back in April. So a big thank you to everybody for tuning in every two weeks. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you may listen. Share it with your friends and hopefully we can keep on growing and indeed the sport of trail running and mountain running will continue to grow too despite the difficulties we are facing at the minute. Before we crack on, a shout out to our podcast sponsor, EcoTrail Wicklow, who unfortunately were forced to postpone the race in its original format until next year, 2021. But I know the team behind EcoTrail are literally out on the Wicklow Mountains as we speak, wrecking a new route of some form for an EcoTrail challenge that people can do on their own in small groups at a time of their choosing. In the meantime, as we await what that might be, and indeed as we await for updates and the racing calendar over the coming weeks and the coming months. Let's hear what the latest set of results are before the sporting landscape got that little bit crazier over the last seven days. And let's call in our man on the ground, Simon Kelly from the Waterford Trail Running Festival. Simon, good to have you back this week. How are you? Oh, good, Owen. It's windswept, it's stormy, but we're still going. And what a strange week, Simon, in terms of government decisions related to sports events, related to training. We've got some races cancelled, some races hanging in there. Who knows what what, uh, August and September and October are going to be like. It is a very unusual time, and I think the guidance as well has been quite difficult to interpret, but it's nice to see a lot of different organisations between Sport Ireland, Triathlon Ireland, IMRA, communicating and working really in synergy with each other and making those mindful decisions and putting health first, which I think is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely, Simon. I mean, for me, sport is a luxury this year. Um, Once I think we can get out and run and train, um, for me, that's 
the number one priority at, at the moment. And if we get to race anything, it's just a massive, massive bonus until we get rid of this horrible coronavirus. And uh, tell me what you have, Simon, in terms of maybe what fixtures we have coming up over the next couple of weeks. And if we start off with the results over the last two weeks, um, because a couple of races did get to go ahead. And as always, there was some very exciting racing. Yeah, there sure was. Well, opening with Imra as obviously the biggest race organiser for trail and mountain running in Ireland. They've been active in the last few weeks. And on Wednesday, the 12th of August, again, the midweek runs, Prince William's seat was the venue, 8.39k, 364 metres of vert. And Jason Kyo was first across the line there in 36 minutes and 47 seconds, closely followed by Carol Cronin in eight seconds behind. And then Paul Stevenson was just 20 seconds further back. So quite a tight finish there. The ladies' race, slightly different. Uh, Patricia McLaughlin finished first in 46 minutes and seven seconds with Tamela Maciel. Apologies if I mispronounced that, but she was 54 seconds back. So a bit of daylight there for Patricia. And Imogen McGuinness rounded off the podium there one minute and 44 seconds behind uh, Patricia in first. On to the weekend, still a packed calendar. On the 15th of August, off to Drumgoff, obviously a special place in trail running. 14 and a half K, 650 meters of vert, so that'll get the lungs pumping. And John Bell took that home in one, min- uh, one hour, 27 minutes and 50, 16 seconds with Bernard Fortune, two minutes, 25 behind. So a bit of daylight for John there. And Warren Swords rounding off the podium for the men. In the ladies' race, quarter race Kira largely had, finishing in one hour, 38 minutes and 47 seconds. Over 10 minutes clear of the rest of the ladies' field, with Carol Harney coming back in second and Claire Keeley coming home in third. There was no rest out on the 16th, off to Johns Hill, another 10k race. So Tom Lupton took the win there in 53 minutes and 24 seconds. We had Robin Mooney, 39 seconds behind him, and then Brian Flannelly coming home in third. And for the ladies, Belinda Kyo, one hour, seven minutes and six seconds, with Emer O'Gorman, 57 seconds behind, and Carol Harney rounding that out again so very good results for caroline harney two podiums in two days so that's pretty stiff competition isn't it great simon just to be talking about race results given everything that's happened over the last couple of days with races being postponed and people not quite sure what's going to happen even to hear you talking about race results like that in the worst case scenario at least we got a couple of weeks racing in and then some great performances to boot there as well because I know from talking to you just before we started to record that unfortunately Imra have been forced to suspend um, their racing calendar for the next couple of weeks Absolutely, Imra have announced that they've cancelled all races until September 13th I think they're being very careful and again putting health first some other organizations uh, in national organizations they do have racing they do have events but imra is unique i suppose in a mountain and trail environment and they're crossing various different landowners so i'm aware that one of the landowners which is quilcha biggest landowner in the country 
they are not comfortable with people coming out and racing in, in numbers on their ground. So it kind of, it almost forced the decision for IMRA. However, they were ahead of it and they were saying that for health reasons, they were going to suspend. And I think they've made a very responsible decision on that. Um, there were a couple of other races, Owen, uh, just in and about, uh, which I would like to touch on. The Seven sure. Sisters took place, Seven Sisters Skyline. So Saturday, 15th of August, it was just the 50k race went ahead this year. But um, there was some fantastic performances. I'll start with the ladies. Laura O'Driscoll finished in 8 hours, 22 minutes and 47 seconds. With Ellen Vitting, 16 minutes behind and Carolee McBride rounding off the podium in third. But there was a big, big result in the men's race. Sean Stewart came home in 7 hours, 11 minutes and 13 seconds. A whopping 41 minutes clear of the field. He must have been showered and deodorants and everything on by the time Grant McKellar crossed the line. And then Aidan McMorland rounded it off. So... A very, very strong performance by Sean Stewart. Huge win. And I'm sure he's probably still on cloud nine after that one. Do you know anything about Sean Simon? It's a name that I haven't heard before, but it sounds like we're going to hear a lot more about him over the next couple of years. If he won such a technically difficult event with such a big margin, 41 minutes, as you said. Yeah, I've seen some of his results. I had a quick search um, and he has been on podiums before in the medium to longer races around the 50k but nothing as spectacular as a 41 minute victory and what really is the seven sisters skyline it is a big ticket race it is a desirable race and it gets a really strong field so it's not to be sneezed at and i'm sure as you say we'll be seeing a lot more about them in the future okay okay anything else to touch on simon race results wise not on the race results, but in the upcoming, the one race that's still scheduled at the moment, uh, coming up very soon, is the Kerry Way Ultra. Now, they have announced that they are pushing ahead and doing everything they can to make the race happen on the 4th and 5th of September. But we will watch this space. and We're definitely giving breathing room. Eileen Daly, who's at the helm of that, if anyone can get it on and get it done, she will. But... There is challenges and it may be a very different format than previous years. So fingers crossed that if it goes ahead, it's safe and people get to enjoy it. And unfortunately, if it falls to the dreaded COVID that has been taking out races left, right and centre, I just acknowledge that Eileen has done Trojan work and she's really called it out. The other one, obviously, I think you, you, you are going to give us a quick update on the Eco Trail, which I was entered in, and I think I have to put a frown on my face. Am I right? We're going to miss you there, Simon, this year at the start and the finish. Absolutely. Unfortunately, the Eco Trail, um, it was postponed during the week until 2021. They're our show sponsor. They've been a great support to us over the last couple of months. I'm, I'm on the team as well that helps organise the event along with Paul and Rene and a great great bunch of um, guys and girls that are there organising that race and we, we had a long long discussions on was it Wednesday morning of this week whether to announce the, the postponement or not or whether to sit tight 
um, like Eileen is doing it in the Kerry Ultra, just to see exactly what the guidance was. Um, and we've seen different updates come out from Sports Ireland over the last 48 hours. For the benefit of our listeners, we're recording here on Friday, the 21st, Friday afternoon, and things are changing all the time. But unfortunately, with the Eco Trail, we had very strong numbers this year across all the different distances. And with the current limit, of 200 for sporting events or, or 15 or whatever it might be. Unfortunately, those numbers are nowhere near the big numbers that we had registered for Eco Trail. So as you said, Simon, yourself, um, from a safety point of view, from an organizational point of view, to have things set up properly, we, we were gutted when we took the decision to, to postpone the event. And thankfully, people have been very understanding. So a big thank you to all of those people that were registered and, um, and were so supportive of the decision that the team made to postpone until 2021. Yeah, I think, um, again, acknowledge that I was an entrant and I found that the messaging coming out from the guys has been fantastic, been up to date. And I certainly felt that it was handled very well and appreciated as a participant and competitor. Looking forward to next year already. Yeah, absolutely, Simon. And I might just touch on maybe on international um, trail running news while we're here. Not too much happening, Simon, at the moment. You know, as we've said over the last couple of podcasts, a lot of the big races cancelled, unfortunately. Another one that went by the wayside there during the week was the famous Ultra World, Ultra Trail World Tour race, the 100 miles of Istria in Croatia, which is a spectacular race. Um, and unfortunately, that was cancelled. One that was cancelled, but is certainly going very strong virtually, is the infamous UTMB. They currently have 14,000 virtual runners and um, participating over four different distances, 50k, 100k, 170k, 240k. So I think everybody is currently working through um, whatever race distance they chose there. You know, we, we were debating ourselves, Simon, there's pros and cons. Some people love the virtual races, other people hate them. One thing just to note, Simon, as well, maybe before we close off today is that the winner of last year's UTMB race, Courtney Dowwater, she was attempting to run 500 miles 90,000 feet of climbing over the Colorado trails and um, just where the Leadville, the famous Leadville race is. She was hoping to try and break the record set by a male runner, just whose name escapes me now, of eight days. So she was trying to do 500 miles in eight days, but unfortunately, um, she became unwell. She got a bad dose of acute bronchitis. If anybody was to check out her Facebook or Instagram account, she didn't look well. So for me, it was just a warning sign for, for everybody just to be careful of all these big, long, long FKTs that people are doing, big, long virtual races that people are doing as well. And um, that you, even though it might be virtual, even though you might be on, on your own and not racing, you still have to be very, very careful and respect the distance and respect the mountain because one of the best in the world, she didn't quite get it right and um, hopefully she's recovering well. Absolutely. I was watching that with interest and she was a day and a half ahead of schedule. Um, she was really on target to do something incredible. But as you said and you touched on, you know, it doesn't take an individual. The photos will always show someone taking on this challenge, but 
there's a big team around someone like Courtney, and I know her husband Kevin is there through the whole way checking in, and I know her folks are as well, and they know her better than anyone, and they'll be able to look at them. And we all, I think, have someone in that when we take on longer challenges, someone that we trust, trust more than we trust ourselves when we get a bit tired, who can look us in the eye and go, not today, we'll come back and fight another day. Wise words, Simon. And on that note, Simon, we'll say goodbye for maybe this episode. And we'll talk again in two weeks, Simon. I'm sure who knows what what state we'll all be in racing-wise. But one thing is for sure, runners are resilient. If they can't run in races, we'll be running ourselves out in the mountains. We'll be training away. We'll be running away. And we'll be enjoying every kilometre as we do so. Simon, thanks a mil. Take care, chat See you soon, Owen. Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Rene Boer, good to have you with us once again. Hi Owen, how are you? Good, good, Rene, and uh, we just got off the, the phone to Simon there, and we were just talking about what a strange week it has been, with some races being postponed, some races being cancelled completely, other races still fighting to go ahead. So I think our topic for, for our training slot this week is actually very useful, because what you're going to talk about is something that we can use um, at most parts of the season to help maintain strength or speed. So if you've got bad news this week and your race has been postponed or your race has been cancelled, what Rennie, I think, is going to talk about today is going to be very useful regardless. So Rennie, I'll let you introduce the topic maybe. Yeah, yeah, as you say, you know, a lot of us are still reeling from, from some of the announcements, you know, and I was obviously a part of the Ecotrail team. Um, so it was a bit of a, what do you say, a soccer punch. Uh, to have to cancel the event um, and I actually felt like going out and doing some hill sprints or something similar right after you know just to burn off <laughs> some pent-up frustrations that that's the topic um, is we you know very early in these conversations we had here we talked about the two basic components of performance uh, you know what makes you run fast uh, on the day and in general which is obviously endurance on the one side and then on the other side of the continuum it's speed um, and a few weeks ago, we talked about hill reps, which is obviously it's a kind of a hard workout where you run for longer periods of time up a hill at a hard pace, you know, to get used to that. And we kind of said, well, there's something called hill sprints as well. Um, and it's a different topic and you don't execute it the same way. And we didn't have time to talk about it. So we we have today. And um I thought the best way maybe to introduce it is to talk about speed in general. You know, why should you care? Because most of the events that we have had, you know, cancelled or changed or moved in the last few weeks, they were longer events. You know, we talked about that two weeks ago. Um, most of the events coming up were kind of 20 kilometers and longer. So, you know, it's 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 difficult often for people to understand why would you even bother with something that takes 8, 10, 12 seconds um, and it's so much faster than the race pace. You know, why waste time on that when it doesn't seem to have any relation? Um, and the long story short, of course, is that 
it has a very, very strong relation. It's just not very intuitive when you first look at it. So basically, the, the idea with speed is that the higher your absolute speed is, your maximum speed, you can call it, is the easier all other paces feel. So that's that's the kind of basic neuromuscular reasoning behind you should actually try and keep your speed as high as possible. And again, I know people who listen who say, oh, I'm a total slow coach. You know, I couldn't outrun a cold or anything like that. Um, you have the speed you have and you can improve that a little bit. So even if you're slow, you want to do something so that you don't start losing what you've got. And I, I know that a, a fair few of our listeners are not... 16 years old they're not 18 years old they're not 20 years old they might be more like you and me Owen uh, you know so somewhere around 40 you know I won't say which side and uh, they might even be you know 50s and 60s and the reality is that one of the first things to go as you get older is your speed it's not your endurance you know in fact we often tend to become more endurant in many ways as we get older because we've trained for longer um, and the reason for that is that we lose muscle mass as we grow older and we gain fat sometimes in return. Um, we lose what's called elasticity, you know, for various different reasons. The body becomes um, a looser spring, you know, so a good way to imagine elasticity is like the spring in a mattress, you know. So they, if you like a good hard mattress, that's that's how we are when we are young. You know, if you push down on it, it springs back real hard. And as you get older, that spring gets looser and looser. So that's the bed after you've had it for 10 years or so. And that's unfortunately kind of the fate of, of, of us humans as we age. The spring gets a little bit looser. Um, but you can fight back against the you know, inexorable uh, decay of aging if you want, you, if you maintain the speed you were given. And hill sprints is a fantastic tool because the only alternatives you have is flat sprints, which we can touch upon a little bit. And uh, what's called, you know, any type of strength work that transfers into explosive movements, you know. So, for instance, it's well known that if you do very heavy lifting, especially if you learn to do it quickly, you know, like Olympic lifting and things like that, which are quite technical. Or if you do what's called plyometrics, which is basically jumping exercises where the contact time with the ground is very, very short. You can imagine it like nearly, you know, pogo jumping, you know, where you bump, 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 like when you skip with a rope, for instance, like the boxers would do. Those are the only other two ways that you can maintain your speed. Well, Remy, you're talking about hill sprints, and I find it fascinating because we're talking about speed as well. And people will think of speed as in the 100 metres, at the Olympics, at the World Championships, on the track, on flat. But yet we're talking about maintaining speed and even improving our speed by running up hills. So maybe you might explain that concept of the hill sprints and their advantages as opposed to the 100 meter flat um, sprinting that we're also used to. Yeah, so essentially speed today, if you boil it down to one quality, like what, where does it come from? It comes from how low you can keep your what's called the ground contact time that I mentioned. So that means how quickly can you get your foot off the ground when you run uh, and how much force can you apply for that very short space of time? And the thing with hills is they have something in common with weights, and that is that there is more resistance being brought onto your muscles than there is. And it's obviously, you know, anyone can verify that very easily for themselves. You know that the moment you hit the hill, there's more of a burn in certain muscles. Uh, it does affect the muscle groups a little bit differently than flat running, but the transfer is is very large because it's still a very, very similar uh, what you call is it, very similar movement. So 
on the hill, the benefit is that if you try to run really fast or as fast as you can on the hill, you will recruit many more muscle fibers than if you run on the flat. At the flat, usually what you could say is the main restriction to how fast you can run is how quickly your nervous, how much your nervous system can fire signals to your legs to move. So usually on the flat, when you do a sprint, um, you run out because you simply cannot move your turnover uh, higher. You know, you reach a hard limit, and that means you will hit a limit before you recruit all of the fibers that you could recruit. So hills are a shortcut to teaching your body to train a greater proportion of the power that is available to you, basically, that's in your engine. So the moment you hit that hill and you try and go to max speed, um, you know, you can tap into a greater reserve. And then as you teach your body that over a number of sessions, those muscle fibers become conditioned. And, you know, you could say the signals to those fibers to say, do something here, please. They become conditioned and they become efficient. And then you start to be able to access them, you know, when you're running at lower speeds and also when you're running on the flat. So it's very common to see that if you train on hills for a period of time, it can improve your flat speed, you know, if you manage that transition correctly. Sure. And it sounds like, Randy, as well, that there's great benefits to hill sprints because from an injury point of view as well, because you're not as explosive maybe on the flat and you're just not expanding those muscles groups as, as much. It's a lot more controlled. There's less impact as well from a high knee lift pounding on the, on the road, on the tarmac. You're probably going to save your legs a lot more as well. So you're getting all these great benefits and you're not risking your legs as much if you were to rock up to the track and try and knock out 80 meters at full tilt on a fast track and pull your hamstring after a couple of minutes. Yeah, that's that's a key benefit, especially for beginners. And you will see in most textbooks today, what they're kind of moving towards is that you do your hill sprints first and then you do your flat uh, sprints and strides. And if you didn't know the details, you might think that that's backwards because the hill sprints are harder to a degree. But it's exactly as you say, it's to control the movement and to lower the impact force, you know, because it's always lower on the uphill. Um, And the only downfall, Owen, of... um, sprints on the uphill is that if you have a tendency to be overly tense in the way you run and if, if you have a tendency to have very tight muscles um, you know if it's something that dogs you hill sprints can exacerbate that problem so the only kind of warning to put on this label on this um, this kind of workout is you need to focus on relaxation and speed at the same time. And I know it's easier said than done because you obviously need to contract some muscles, but you cannot go to tension 10 out of 10. So you just need to kind of tune into yourself as you do these sprints uphill and say, uh, do I feel incredibly tense everywhere? Because that you could, you could, without wanting to do it, you could program in an overly tense running style. There's a very simple trick to avoid that, which I got from one of the um, original kind of sprint coaches in America. He's called Bot Winters. And um, he always said, my sprinters run faster if I tell them, go run 100 meters at 9 out of 10, than if I tell them, go run at 10 out of 10. And the reason is, of course, the moment you think, I have to do all out now, 10 out of 10, you tense up too much. Sure. Yeah, so, it, so so that's just a real nice tr- – and it's actually something – this is a trick just while we're on it, Owen, that you can use in your finishing sprint in races as well. A lot of people, they tense up too much in the finishing sprint because they're like, I need to get everything. So if you can rem- teach yourself 
in your session, nine out of 10, so that you just keep a little bit of flow and relaxation, you will actually be faster. And the same will be in your finishing sprint. So you see a lot of people lose the finishing sprint in the race because they tense up too much. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's something, Rene, that I've been using over the last couple of weeks as well, the hill sprints. I mean, I was very much aware of the hill sprints because we were, as when we started to work together in 2016, it was a concept that you introduced to me as well. And it's something that I always tend to do at the end of my easy runs. It's like my easy 60 minutes or 70 minutes is done and I've got two or three little hills before I get to my house. And I literally enjoy running relaxed up those hills as a little reward after getting through the easy mileage. And exactly like what you were saying, I just try to relax into it. I don't go flat out because, you know, as you said, if you're tensed up or if you have a tendency to tense up, it can do a bit of damage. So I might maybe think of getting to a finish line of a race or think of just running with friends and just slowly speed up as I go up those last couple of hills before the house and maybe that's another thing worth mentioning Rennie as well that when we were speaking about our hill reps that's a session that deserves its own day whether it's a Tuesday evening or a Saturday morning they deserve their own specific workout but the hill sprints I think they can be just tagged on to the end of a long run or an easy run and you get the great benefits of them. Yeah, exactly. Like the this concept has kind of been popularized in America by a coach called Brad Hudson. I don't know if you know him or, um, but that that is exactly how he uses. He actually uses the hill uh, sprint session as a warm up day for the real session. So it, he has a very particular weekly routine that you don't have to adopt. But the way he does it is that on the Monday you do a relatively short and easy run where you throw in a few eight to ten second hill sprints, um, and he starts total beginners as low as two just two, and then he works them up to about 10. And once he has them at 10 times eight, he brings them up to 10 by 10 seconds. And only when people can comfortably do that once or twice a week, you know, as something they, they kind of put in to an easy run, um, will he go for something more advanced? Because there are kind of advanced sprint sessions that go into what's called speed endurance, which where you, you kind of, you're moving out of an all-out sprint. And that happens in that kind of area from 10 seconds to you know to 15 20 even 30 seconds you know where you're moving away from from max speed um so that's a brilliant way to do it um and as you just said there you know don't feel bad if all you have time for is two but the key is when you are trying to do sprints whether as a standalone session or as a tag on to an easy run you need a long recovery in between as a general rule so when we talk about hill reps Generally, the recovery in a hill rep is shorter than the actual rep or, or the same because it's, it's meant to be with incomplete recovery. You know, that's the dynamics of that type of workout. But when you're doing any kind of speed work like hill sprints, you need to be nearly fully recharged because if you're not, you can't apply maximum force. And the whole idea with the session is to let your body apply maximum force so that we push your power upwards. And uh, okay. so, you know, so it means if you do hill sprints with very short recoveries, very quickly, then the maximum power in each sprint actually drops quite significantly. Sure. Okay. And um, now, I, I think, Owen, correct me if I'm wrong, but you came from a soccer background. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So there is an, there is a, fr from those sports, there's something to learn about sprinting with short recovery. Uh, because obviously in a football game, say you will do many sprints and you don't always get a full recovery in between. 
Uh, there is a time and a place. I won't go in depth with it here today. There is a time and a place for sessions where you do sprints with a short recovery. And it basically, it's about learning to recycle the energy you use for sprinting, which is kind of this short, very powerful battery, like an electric little engine in the muscle called uh, the creatine phosphate shuttle and um, so when you do you know sprint short recovery sprint short recovery sprint short recovery you do t teach the body to recharge that battery and that can be valuable for endurance runners as well in specific contexts but for beginners the best format is to begin with a long recovery that is at least kind of three four even five times you know the duration of the sprint itself Okay, and just to have the patience to do it and just to trust in, in that uh, methodology and that the body will get the benefits from it. Maybe one last question, Rene, on the hill sprints. Um, some people mightn't live near hills, but they might have steps maybe on the side of a mountain. Maybe a trail isn't runnable for whatever reason, or they might live close to, a, I don't know, a big, tall building with a lot of steps. Can you get the same type of benefits that we're talking about today from running fast up steps, that kind of Rocky-esque type of movement as he's running up the steps towards the, the building there in Washington? Would they work as well? Yeah, there's quite a lot of benefits, actually. And, uh, you know, my, my big hero, Arthur Idiot, was always talking about my home country, Denmark, in this regard, because we have no hills. And he was frustrated because one of his key sessions was these hill circuits where you did sprinting and bounding exercises uphill. And uh, they didn't have it, but he actually just brought them to the local stadium to do exactly that. Yeah. Um, and the reason is that you, you do have to have a quite a quick ground contact time when you run on steps, because yeah. otherwise you, you stumble over the step. And it, it does, in some ways, um, it helps with mechanics because you do you need to create quite a, a large range of motion um, in your hip flexion and you need to lift your foot off the ground because, again, otherwise you stumble. So it can actually be quite good. The only thing is you need uh, reasonable coordination. You know, if you go try, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but it definitely own, you know, if you have access to that and no hills, that's that's a good way to do it. The only other thing you can do if you live totally flat and you have no other options you could do two things and um, you can just live with the flat sprints okay that they, you they're still or, or very very gradual uh, slope yeah. like sebastian coded very well on that uh, yeah. or you or you can be a little bit nerdy and you can very cheaply you can buy one of those uh, resistance parachutes that the sprinters use um, and you just tag that onto you and basically when you do the sprint the wind will pull back at you and it works the same way yeah, no, listen, Rene, that's been a great segment this week. I'm sure we're going to see lots more runners of all abilities all around the country um, sprinting up hills on a Monday and a Wednesday and maybe even a Saturday and Sunday as well as they're um, getting ready for their Tuesday and Thursday night sessions. And I'm sure everybody's going to get the benefit from it as well. Guys, if you liked what you heard today and if you want to talk to Rene more about whatever it might be from 5K to a marathon or from short trails to ultras, you can get in touch with Rene on runningcoach.ie and on Facebook and Instagram as well. Rene, a pleasure as always. A big thank you. All right. Talk to you next time. Time for our feature interview for episode 10. Focus is also mandatory. It's critical to set realistic objectives and a plan to achieve these objectives. The great thing about athletics is that those who want it most and put in the work are in general rewarded.
The words of Barry Minnick from an interview he did a couple of years ago. Barry has certainly put in the work on both the roads and the mountains and he has an impressive set of results to back up his hard work. He has 39 Imra race wins. He had an incredible golden period on the roads where he won many races and ran a superb 2 hour 17 minute marathon including two national podiums in the Dublin Marathon. Barry has an incredible story to tell combined with a brilliant comeback story which took place just a few weeks ago. So let's get to it and dial in one of Ireland's toughest and most talented runners. Barry Minnick, you're very welcome to Trail Running Ireland. Hey Owen, good to talk to you. Very great to have you on board with us. Thanks for taking the call. Barry, where do we start? So many races, so many adventures, so many top class performances to look back at over the last 15 years or so. But maybe if we start at what for me, looking from afar, Barry, anyway, was a superb comeback result last week in the trial race for the World Championships. Um, you must be delighted, Barry, with the result. Definitely delighted with the result. I mean, it's, it's a race I was targeting. I was actually targeting it last year and just got injured in the build-up. Um, so I, I did want to give it a good go this year. Um, and thankfully, you know, it's uh, it was a good day for me. It was a, an extremely tough race now, one of the toughest races I've done. Uh, certainly in, in recent memory, uh, I found it extremely tough, particularly because of the heat, but obviously delighted with the result. Yeah, and I think it's probably fair to say, Barry, that it's been a couple of years since we've seen Barry Minnick's name on the podium of a big, important race like, like that to qualify for the World Championships to represent Ireland. But I think what you showed maybe down in Limerick that weekend was your, your inner strength and endurance that has always been a trademark of your running. Maybe could you talk to us about what the last few years have been like for you, where you've been away from the podium, that you were so used to in that golden period that we'll get on to later on. Um, what happened over the last couple of years? Tell us about your, your, your training and your racing over the last couple of years and that, that led up to that comeback performance in the trial race. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. The last uh, five years or, or even more have been extremely difficult. Um, it's been a combination of a, of a number of factors, um, injuries primarily. Um, I just seem to go from injury to injury, my body breaking down all of the time. Uh, I couldn't get a string of, you know, decent training. Um, so I could maybe train for three or four weeks and then my body would break down and I'd have to go into a period of recovery. Um, so that's probably the key reason why you haven't seen me in the last number of years just injury um, and always struggling to get back um, if I say earlier this year I, I you know I, I finally said I have to sort this out once and for all not just for racing purposes but actually if my body's breaking down I, I, I want to have a healthy a healthy life uh, well into my later years so I just needed to sort out those those issues I've been having primarily in my you know my hamstrings and my Achilles and my calves so I went to the sports surgery clinic earlier this year and I guess I spent a lot of time and I'm going to say a lot of money as well in rehab to get back, to get back on the, back on the road, shall we say. Yeah. Well, what um, were the different things, Barry, that you had to do? Was there any surgery involved or was it just in terms of 
strengthening up weak muscles or what what was it exactly that you did yeah i mean it was primarily the strengthening piece now i did have um uh, i did have to get a, a steroid injection which i always told myself i'd avoid because i had heard of so many people getting a steroid injection and uh you know just never really properly recovering from it but uh I felt I was at a point of no return, so I did get a steroid injection uh, back in January. Uh, that was for my Achilles. My, uh, a lot of my problems were, were, you know, led to problems in my Achilles. Um, and the rest of it was uh, a treatment called shockwave. So I, I had a lot of shockwave treatment. Um, I think it's a relatively new treatment. I hadn't heard of it before anyway. And then a lot of rehab work um with colin griffin the, you, you might know colin griffin but uh spent a good bit of time with uh with colin in the sports surgery clinic to, to just build up the muscles primarily in the calves i i always thought my calves were a strength but it actually turns out they were actually a weak point um, so i really had to work on my calves and continue to have to work on my calves because um i'm not i'm not out of the woods yet i know i had a good results um at the weekend but i'm still not able to run five six, six times a week I'm, I'm limited to three four times a week at the moment um so i'm not out of the woods yet it's funny how you mentioned shockwave therapy barry because nicola duncan who was on a couple of weeks ago she said that when she had her hamstring troubles after her great strong couple of years on the roads and with all her great um, marathon results she had similar injury troubles to yourself and it was only the shockwave therapy that got her back running as well. So maybe it's a good tip for anybody listening in that has similar problems with their hamstrings or their calves. Um, it must have been tough mentally, Barry, those last couple of years because you were used to so much success before then. Um, what was it like mentally going through those three or four years of injury after injury and um, did you ever think of throwing in the towel or were you just determined to get back or were you just busy doing other things in life well i'm going to say in effective terms i almost did throw in the towel i mean i didn't give it a serious effort um to get back properly um there was no doubt it was a really busy time in uh, from a work perspective so there's probably an element of focusing on work for a period um, and I went to numerous physios and I suppose had tried several treatments but nothing was working um, and then this year I suppose it was just a real focus so and almost a you know let's not let money get in the way of trying to solve this problem so um, you know I got all the MRIs that I would have needed and a couple of really let's say chronic long-term uh, issues were were identified and you know there was a clear plan to address all of those issues um primarily in the achilles um and that's where the shockwave came in but i mean it's uh, I, I for the last few years it's it's you know i've probably rested for long periods assuming that the body would recover i i would then get back training and feel fine for a month or maybe two and then the yeah. body would just break down again. So it was a really, let's say, difficult period in terms of false optimism every every six months or so, and then back to square one. Uh, this time around, very different. I've started 
very slowly in terms of building up in terms of mileage. Um, you know, probably COVID, COVID-19 has been a difficult period, obviously, for everybody. But in terms of my running, I would say it's been a, a good period for me because, you know, there was nothing to race. There was nothing to to target, really. It was just let's get the head down, get some consistency, do the exercises, get into a routine. Uh, and slowly build back up um, and you know uh, there, there was another part in my training over the last six months which was cycling so I always I always have done a little bit of cycling but I mean uh, since the lockdown I, I, I've taken to uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of Zwift but the cycling uh, the virtual cycling and that's been fantastic. So at the moment, I'm probably running every second day and, and cycling every other day, primarily on Zwift. It's a bit of fun. Yeah, well, I think we, we've seen a lot of examples, haven't we, over the years of people who cycle and maybe cross-train, and it actually works very well in the mountains, especially when you're climbing and so on. I, I'm not too sure if it would work as well for marathon runners and road runners, but I think in the mountains, I think it's a good combination. I think you're absolutely right. I think it works for particularly for uphill running because uphill running was a. It might sound strange given my mountain running background, but really steep uphill running was actually a weakness of mine. But I think the cycling really does help with that. Um, the the real problem with cycling is I think you found this out recently, but you know it it does tighten up the hamstrings. Yeah. So so when you go for a run, you really need to make sure you're you're properly properly stretched out because it can lead to injuries if you're not careful. Oh, absolutely, Barry. And that's what happened to me, like after the eight or nine weeks of lockdown in Spain, as the listeners know, I've been documenting it to them over the last couple of episodes that, yeah, I was on the bike every day trying to maintain fitness. But once I got back running for the first couple of days, I was flying because I was so aerobically fit from the bike. But like that, yeah, everything is shortened up, hip flexors, hamstrings, and it's taken me a couple of weeks to sort it out, sort it all out, which thankfully I did. But like what you were saying yourself, you have to do all your activation exercises. You have to lengthen everything, stretch everything again. So it can be a bit of a pain (laughs) if it does happen to you. But that result, Barry, there two weekends ago now, after going through so much frustration over the last couple of years, tell us what it was like maybe on that last lap when you had a couple of minutes um, advantage over third and fourth place. You knew you were going to come second. And you knew you were going to qualify to run for Ireland at the age of 45, and especially after so much hardship. What was it like for you? Yeah, but the race itself, um, I suppose the one thing I had done during the last six months is long runs in the hills. So I, I was, there was a level of confidence going in in terms of, I know I can do the distance. Um, uh, and then on the last lap, as you've asked, I mean, it was. I didn't. I haven't felt as bad in quite a long time. So it was. I think it was the heat primarily and the amount of climbing. But uh, it was a lap course, as you know. Um, I felt. I felt great for the first two laps. Absolutely flying. I. I actually had caught up with, with Ian um, on the second lap, and I had to stop to tie my shoelace, and. Uh, when I stopped to tie my shoelace, I said, well, I'll, I'll catch him back in no time at all. Uh, but I never saw Ian again, was the reality. Um, but 
I mean, it was just the heat and the climbing made the last lap extremely difficult. And actually, on the the third lap, um, I uh, actually uh, I think it was Connor that caught up with me, and um, so that gave me a bit of a scare. So I'll be I'll be honest on on the last lap. I didn't know I was a couple of minutes clear, if you know what I mean. I thought there was someone on my tail. So I was actually pushing as hard as I could. And I uh, there was a boggy section at the top. And I kind of knew to myself, if I get to the end of the boggy section, I'll be fine. But uh, I was running scared up until that point. Uh, I did want to get the second spot. You know, it was only the first two that had the auto qualification point. So I was... I was determined to get that second spot, but uh, it was extremely tough to get there. Yeah, and a wonderful moment when you crossed the line, I'm sure. You must have been delighted. I was absolutely ecstatic, yeah. I mean, um, uh, you know, you you spend a long time out, and I think when you come back after a, a long period out, you just appreciate the, the little things uh, uh, a bit more. You know, I, I think if I had done that race, maybe five years ago I might not have appreciated it but when when you haven't had good performances in the last few years you know you do appreciate it yeah we had Ian Conroy Barry on a couple of weeks ago and Ian mentioned that when he qualified to run for Ireland last year in the trial race for the short course I think I think it was his auntie that had passed away I think in the same week Ian had a couple of bad months injury wise injury wise as well and my mum and dad were at the finish line and they saw him cross the line in second place. And similar to yourself, he was just overcome with emotion and he was jumping up and down and tears of joy nearly as well. And, you know, maybe it's something just for everybody listening in that if they do get to the finish line of their race and uh, it's been a tough build up for them for whatever reasons, just let it all go and just enjoy, enjoy that moment of uh, crossing the finish line as much as you can, because you never know when, when you're going to get to that spot again, you know, and um, you, you chose Barry to do your rehab and to focus on the mountains rather than say focusing for road races or for a marathon or whatever because maybe just as we'll get on to now you had this incredible um road running marathon career um but before we get there what was it this time around that brought you back to the mountains rather than trying to go for the roads again well there's, there's probably a, a number of pieces to answer that i mean first and foremost I love the mountains. I mean, uh, I'm lucky to live just in the foothills um, of the of the Dublin mountains. Uh, so they're on my doorstep, um, a couple of kilometres, and I'm up on the hills. Uh, there's nothing better than running in the mountains. So I suppose that's the first piece. Um, the second piece is, you know, I suppose I started in the hills before I went to road running. So and I almost feel like I'm building up from from scratch again. So I'm almost on the same journey, uh, starting again and back to the mountains. Um, and I suppose the third piece to answer that question would be, I suppose, I like to be competitive, um, even if that's, you know, whatever whatever I'm doing, uh, I always like to be competitive. And the, probably the, the unfortunate reality at the moment is that I wouldn't be fast enough. I wouldn't have the just the turnover or the speed to, to run quality times on the road. But it, the hills are different where it's much more about, I'm just going to say, brute force or determination. And 
I have that. And certainly when you go to the longer distances, that's where that really kicks in. It's not really about speed. It's more about it's more about heart and it's more about training um putting in some of the work in advance and then it's just about determination on the day and yeah. i know i have that so that's that's brought me back to it as well yeah well, well let's talk about that brute force and determination barry and let's maybe go back in time between that golden period of yours on the road between 2010 and 2014 and 15. And for people that maybe don't know your record on the road, um, let me just call out a couple of results um, to bring you back to that moment as well. Uh, 30 minutes, 21 seconds for 10K, July 2010. One hour, six minute half marathon, Reading 2012. A marathon PB of two hours, 17 minutes, long before vapor flies or whatever other carbon plate you want to put into a shoe these days. Two hours, 17 minutes in Hanover in 2012. Three minutes, 14 seconds a kilometer and just two minutes, 40 seconds outside the A standard for London at the time. You had a, a great adventure that you might tell us about maybe in Copenhagen when you came second in the marathon there. And then this fantastic relationship with the Dublin Marathon that, that you had with a fourth, a bronze and a silver medal over four years with times ranging from two hours 18 to two hours 22 minutes. And I remember Barry as well, back in those couple of years, you, you were you were winning races left, right and centre, not just the, the marathons and the half marathons and knocking out those times, but you were winning races as well. You were competitive and you were a great competitor. Um, Looking back, Barry, what are the, the highs and the lows of that road running period of your career? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, you, you've done your research for the start. I mean, um, it was a great period. And it's, it's funny when you're in the middle of a period like that, you, you don't fully appreciate it or you don't understand, um, you know, that it all could fall apart someday as it has for me. But that period, you know, uh, was fantastic um it seemed every race i was going going out i was running the pb so it was just um it was just a really positive period from a running perspective um with the highlights i mean uh, you know you've you've probably mentioned some of the highlights um i mean obviously the marathon performance in in hanover 217 was definitely a highlight at the time i mean it was it was a breakthrough performance. It was a big PB. Um, it put me on the map, I'm going to say, because before that, uh, I'm going to say I probably wasn't fully respected as a as a, uh, as a as a quality runner, but certainly uh, I got more respect after that time. So that was definitely a, a standout. Um, it's funny, you, you mentioned times and... Uh, um, it would be nice to get an opportunity to run times in the vapor fly to see what could be done. But, um, you know, but uh, in terms of that period, there's loads of highlights. I mean, and there's lots of race wins that I won't go into, but, you know, every one of them I would appreciate. And, and sometimes the race wins are even more important than the times because yeah. times you know people will just get quicker and the times are all relative you know and you know over time you know your records disappear but 
I mean, the race wins never disappear. And I would really, some of my highlights would be just winning some races. I remember the first proper race I won was the Connemara Half Marathon. And that was actually a big standout moment for me uh, because it was, for me, it was like the first time I had actually won a relatively big race. Um, so that was a big, big thing. Um, there was races I always wanted to win, winning the Warriors race. Um, that, that that race is fantastic. I really enjoyed winning that. Uh, the Dublin Marathon performances stand out. Um, you know, those those memories with, with club mates, particularly Sean Herr and your and yourself. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we had some good runs in, in Dublin and uh, you know, there's lots of lots of highlights to be honest. Um, yeah. as you mentioned Dublin Marathon Barry, um, any regret at all that you didn't get the gold medal in the Dublin Marathon, which of course is the national championship as well. You are fourth, third and second. Incredible results in their own right. Um, any frustration that you didn't get the gold medal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it regrets, but I mean, I it would have been fantastic to get the gold, obviously. Um, and you know, it, it's funny, but my my time of two eighteen in Dublin, another years would have been sufficient for gold. But listen, yeah. um, I don't have any regrets about it. Uh, if anything, my regret. You mentioned my relationship with Dublin with Dublin City Marathon I love the race it's absolutely fantastic but I almost became obsessed about it um, and ever since I, I'm going to say my my run in 2012 in Dublin it really took over my training in terms of preparing for the Dublin City Marathon and I'm going to say that was probably you know counterproductive overall so and, and this will be more I suppose saying this for as a learning rather than as a regret. I mean, I, I probably if I had the opportunity to run Dublin again, I would. But it it did take over my training. Probably got injured as a result uh, because I was overly focused on it and probably ran through pain when I shouldn't have. Um, and I ended up missing missing the the marathon on several occasions just because of injury. But I've no regrets about it. Um, I was relatively late to running, um, and I didn't have a coach, proper coach. I obviously got coaching advice from several people, including Rene, who's on on your podcast. Actually, his his advice on the podcast was absolutely fantastic. I wish I, I wish I was listening to someone like Rene when I was back running properly, because I don't think I would have got the injuries I, I experienced. But yeah. I think that lack of having a coach or um, meant I I pushed too hard, I raced when I shouldn't have, and that that probably led to the problems I've had over the last few years. So I wouldn't call it a regret, but I would call it a learning in terms of you sure. know being obsessed and about Dublin. You were in very good company very back then as well, weren't you? With the likes of Sean Hare, who was a great friend, a great training partner, a great competitor for you as well. Um, Sergi, of course, was there. He was winning national titles, always on the podium too. So, I mean, to get fourth bronze and silver, coming from a GAA background for such a long time, um, absolutely, it, it's a great body of work. And I'm sure you look back and you're very proud of all those results. I know, I can certainly look back with, with pride and, and, you know, be satisfied with my 
with my time. Yes, of course, I'd love to have got um, a marathon goal. That would have been the dream. The the only other, I wouldn't call it a regret again, but I would have loved to have got a sub 30 10K. Uh, and I think I was capable in terms of my, uh, my ability and my training. I just didn't get the right race at the right time. Um, breaking 30 minutes for 10K, you know, I think if I had focused on that, um, I would have achieved it, but it it just didn't happen. That that would be one uh, from a time perspective. That's the one that got away. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned Barry as we were talking about that time period that you loved competing and you really loved winning races. I'm not sure who doesn't. And um, but often with road running, we can get obsessed with times and kilometer splits and so on. And to hear you saying that you love competing, um, it's something that I identify with. I, I love that part of it as well. And thankfully on the mountains, we very rarely need to look at our watches for splits and so on. And before you went to road running, um, say before 2010, you showed that competitive nature of yours, Bar, and you, you racked up an incredible amount of wins in the IMRA, various IMRA races between 2007 and 2010. If anybody goes to the IMRA website and types in your name on their um, athlete database and goes back to that time, they'll just see first, 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 the odd second or third, first, first, first. And in total, you've won, I'm sure you know, this 39 wins from 139 races, an incredible body of work. And um, we don't have time to get into all those race wins, Barry, and those great years. But maybe what I will ask is, do you have any tips or advice for people that are listening? People that are maybe switching from a different sport, such as the ga, from soccer, from basketball, from cycling. They're maybe they're discovering the hills now. They're they're going up the Immer races. They're really enjoying them, and they're competitive like you are, like we are. Um, what tips would you give them, or what worked well for you in, in those um, years when when you were collecting all those race wins? I mean, the first piece of advice is to is to talk to someone like Rene or join a club. You need you need advice in those early years because. I mean, I probably I probably did a lot of trial and error and resulted in a, a lot of false starts. But I mean, you really need to get advice from people who've been through it, who know what they're talking about. And um, yeah, that would be the, be the first piece. The second piece would be just to be patient. You know, it takes time to, to build up strength and endurance. So you, there's no real fast track um, Although I'll come back to that in a minute in terms of one thing I think made a difference for me. But um, yeah, just take your time and, you know, build up your mileage slowly. You know, you're really planning over a number of years and building up year after year rather than jumping into high mileage. I mean, I probably started in 2005 and I had just turned 30 you know it was I had decided that enough was enough in terms of the Gaelic football um, and needed a new challenge and just I really enjoyed the hills I started the hill running the, the social scene with the hill running was excellent I was doing some adventure races also at the time and that all just I suppose neatly fit together um, and I you know it wasn't 
it was a really slow, gradual build-up to running. Um, it wasn't until 2008, I'm going to say, that I actually got serious about running. The period before that was just having fun in the hills, enjoying it, you know, uh, learning about running, talking to people, meeting friends. Uh, really, uh, really good period, really enjoyable period. Uh, and, and just to come back to that, I suppose, that one event that I actually think changed uh, changed the game for me was um, uh, I know you had Ian Keat on uh, I, I think it was your first podcast uh, and I, I listened was, to that yeah. but um, I did an event with with Ian back in 2006 called Primal Quest it was a 10 day adventure race uh, I was I was a I won't call it a last minute but relatively last minute uh, sub to the team a team of four but that was a 10 day adventure race and I guess that taught me all about endurance and, you know, having to pace yourself over 10 days. And I'm going to say the other big difference that made is just actual my physical body shape. Um, I had your typical GAA shoulders and body before that, you know, I was built, uh, I was built up. I, 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 I was doing press ups and sit ups every morning. So uh, I, I was, I had I was focused on the upper body rather than my legs, and uh, but I'm going to say that Primal Quest event ten days I just lost all of my upper body strength because it was pure endurance for ten days. I think I lost over a stone and weight over the course yeah. of ten days, but it did change me physically and it changed me mentally in terms of you know nothing could be tough after that event. So. I wouldn't recommend it. I'm not saying go out and do a 10-day adventure race. Uh, I don't think anyone would. But it did change things for me. Um, And then I guess I started training properly from 2007. And I'm going to say in terms of performances, then they seem to kick in. Okay, I had some good runs in the hills from 2007, 2009, as you said. And then I probably my focus switched to the road about 2009. Sure. And of course, like after all those great wins in the Imre races, Barry, you, you got to represent Ireland. Um, was it a, a boyhood dream for you to, to represent Ireland in some sport, in any sport? Um, and what maybe was your, your standout time from your caps and performances from Ireland on the Irish mountain running team? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's everybody's dream. Well, I think it's everybody's dream to represent our country. Um, and then when I started hill running and I started winning races, uh, as you mentioned, you know, it, I suppose the, the possibility of representing Ireland in, in, in the mountains, you know, was there. Um, so I was very much focused on that for a couple of years. I had a couple of performances in the trial where, I felt I let myself down. I didn't qualify for the team, but uh, eventually it came came good and, and got to represent Ireland. And uh, I'm lucky enough to have, have have the opportunity to wear the vest a good few times. So um, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to represent Ireland. I loved every minute of um, on those trips. You know, you you get to experience um, great things. Uh, in terms of travel, in terms of seeing new places, meeting people, and the race event, the race events themselves are always top quality. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for any, say, Imre Junior runner, Barry, or anybody maybe who has a bit of talent switching in from other sport, why not set a target of trying to qualify for an Irish team in the short distances and the longer distances? Um, they're, they're great events, they're great championships, and uh, yeah, it's an absolute honour, isn't it, to, to represent your country. And um, hopefully we'll see lots of new faces over the next couple of years as well, trying to trying to make those teams. Um, we've mentioned the World Championships, Barry, that you qualified for at the, at the fantastic age of 45. They're, they're coming up now in November, fingers crossed that they get to go ahead or not, who knows at this stage. Obviously, you're going to be focusing on that. But over the next couple of years, Barry, I, I presume for, for you, it's all about just staying healthy now rather than setting any specific target or or, or maybe not. Um, I, I don't know. What, what way are you thinking now, Barry, in terms of the next couple of years running-wise? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, this year is just about staying healthy, as you said, and, and getting back to a level of consistency. Uh, I, I hear Rene mention the word consistency quite often with consistency. Uh, um, and it is really important because I've had a number of lapses, you know, and it takes you so long to get back. If you get those consistent performances and, and consistent training in, it just allows you to keep building and building and getting better and better. So this year is just about consistency. Um, and yes, I, I do think I can still be competitive and particularly in the hills and particularly trail running because, you know, there's, there's certain pieces of mountain running where I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be fantastic. You know, when it gets really technical, I, I tend to underperform relatively, but if it's, if it's a trail, uh, nice gradient uh, I, I tend to do really well so that's where I'll focus that's where I believe uh, I can do well and probably as I get older I'd probably focus on some of the more longer distances um, obviously you know you've seen with the with the trial this year I've gone for the long distance rather than the short distance um, I think I can be competitive over the longer distances I'm I may move to ultra. Uh, I haven't quite taken that step, uh, although I've done, I've done and actually won the the 50k Irish Championships, but um, I haven't gone beyond the 50k in terms of racing. But um, I I would love to try some of those long distance trail sure. runs if, uh, if if I get some consistent training in. Check out UTMB, Barry. Um, it's something that I think you would love. And, you know, if you stayed strong and healthy, um, I can see you doing very well in Chamonix um, at the finish line there. There's more and more Irish people going over there every year. And for anybody that doesn't know the UT UTMB race, have a little look on YouTube or whatever. It's, it's an incredible trail mountain running experience it really is and um, masters barry are you interested in competing in the masters and um, do the masters go barry from over 40 straight to over 50 or is there an over 45 category as well in cross country and across the board yeah no i think it's every five years so um and actually some of my you know some of my highlights would have been at a master's level so you know i did have uh, I, I still remember the day with with funness in terms of getting on the podium for the European Masters Mountains and I have a track um, track 5k gold from uh, at Masters level so I, I definitely will continue doing Masters it's really enjoyable and you can be competitive in your age group um, 
But I, I think my true love is the hills. I think I'll focus on the long distance trail running. Um, I'll start, I've obviously started with the trail race last weekend. I'm planning to do the the Eco Trail. Um, not quite brave, brave enough for the 80k this time, but I, I think I'll do the 45k and just build from there. Um, and yes, I will do Masters events, absolutely. Um, so my my challenge is actually racing less often. I, I, I always did too many races, which, which resulted in problems and resulted in injuries. So another piece of advice for, for the for the young eager, eager people out there would be to race less often. You know, just uh, put in proper um, preparation for each race and don't overdo it. Um, and and the other for those transitioning from road to the hills, the other piece of advice I would say is, you know, just don't um, don't just turn up on the day to run in the hills. You need to put a bit of hill specific work in. Otherwise. I've seen so many road runners show up at a trial event and really struggle because it's their first time in the hills. You you really need to do some hill specific work before you go into a trial. You have to prepare the calves, don't you? Um, you? You mentioned Barry the next couple of years and racing masters and so on. And I'm sure you're very excited to be wearing the Tullamore Harrier singlet, your hometown club. You recently signed for them. But I'm sure in some ways, Barry, it was a bittersweet decision. Um, you raced for Rathfarnham so successfully for so many years, but this year you signed for Tullamore Harriers. Yeah, definitely bittersweet, as, as you've said there. You know, I, I have really fond memories with Rathfarnham. We had a really good group, including yourself, as, as you well know, a really good group that trained together for several years. And, you know, I have really fond memories. And still... Still a great time for everyone in Rathfarnham. It's it's a fantastic club, and I'd highly recommend it for for anyone in the area. It's just a it's it's a really good, well structured, friendly club. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm from Tullamore, so I've always had that affection for my for my hometown club. And uh, there's always been a bit of banter in terms of transferring to Tullamore Harriers. There was a there was a couple of let's say, uh, internal political things in Rathfarnham that, you know, issues. And as a point of principle, I, I did decide to leave. But on the other side, you know, joining Tullamore, uh, I suppose it's given me a new lease of energy and it, it gives me a new start. So I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to putting on the Tullamore, Tullamore jersey. I haven't had the opportunity to put on the vest yet, but uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully if I, if I stay... Stay healthy, I'll, I'll get to wear it during the cross-country season. Absolutely, Barry Willis. And I'm sure everybody respects somebody who who believes in, in certain um, ways of, of being and certain principles. And uh, you're always somebody that has very strongly and proudly stuck to your own principles on and off the track. Um, you've been a, a great an incredible athlete over the last 15 years and um, a great club mate great teammate and i'm sure we're going to see you doing uh, very very well in the tullamore harrier singlet and indeed in the irish singlet as well in the world championships if they get to go ahead in lanzarote and if not this year barry um, sometime very very soon as well and um, barry Thanks a million for a wonderful chat today. It's been absolutely great. Some great tips for everybody listening and all the very best with the recovery. Hope the legs stay well and hope you kick ass over in Lanzarote if the race goes ahead.
Well, let's hope the race goes ahead. I mean, uh, great to have a chat with you today. I mean, uh, I think that these podcasts are fantastic. So well done on on the podcast. And uh, I've been catching up on all of them over the last few weeks. They really are fantastic. So fair dues and keep them going. Thanks, Mo Barry. Talk to you soon, mate. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. And that's a wrap for episode 10. As you heard there, a top man, Barry Minnick, and one of the most talented runners I've known, and someone who you would happily go into battle with on a cross-country team, international mountain running team, whatever it might be. A great teammate over the years, and great to see him back running strong after some bad injury years. If you are going through something similar yourself at the minute, use Barry's story as an inspiration. Everything heals over time. Sometimes we might need to recruit some external experts in, to help get us back but you will get back and well if you're lucky enough to be running injury free at the minute keep kicking ass everybody enjoy those hills and until next time get your running gear on let's go